Well, good morning. Welcome to Monday Morning, the Bread Truck Monday podcast. We're actually back on an actual Monday. Can you believe it? And in the morning. So it actually is a Bread Truck Morning, uh, Monday Morning podcast. And we're excited to be back with you today. Um, great Sunday yesterday. Um, and we're going to talk about kind of that. We'll get dive into that here in just a little bit. But um, I wanted to, to let you know that if you had the bet on how many episodes it would be before Isaac hurt himself... Um, <laughs> It's it's 18. 18, 18 episodes. That's a pretty good run. It is the prop bet. So if you had that on your bingo card, <laughs> congratulations. Uh, Isaac, what happened to you this week? You came in limping yesterday to church. Oh, yeah. Well, I decided to go skiing. And uh, me and Adrenaline Sports at my advanced age of 28 is not going well for me. So <laughs> I uh, it was a powder day, lots of snow, bluebird. So I went pretty hard and shredded really hard for a couple of runs and then um hit something a little too hard i'm pretty sure i shrunk about two inches my spine compacted so hard um it was incredible i was in the air for a long long time and i was falling a long long ways and i realized that the landing appeared a lot flatter than it did when i initially scoped it out four years back when i was there last so um (laughs) it got a little flatter and landed and stomped it and it was sweet and then like it was fine, and then a little later after that, I hit this weird spot in the run, and then I instantly felt my entire lower back just seize oh. and uh, folded in half, and then, yeah, no more back strength at all. It's gone. I'm twisted. It's like my ears touching the left side of my knee- kneecap. Uh, I'm, yeah, I so resemble you, the letter C. You you went off an edge. You went off an edge. A cornice. And then just, a cornice, and then just... Just freaking soared, <laughs> and then landed flat, and then nothing really happened in that moment aside from feeling my... L7 touched my L1 and uh, it was fine. And then a little later, I, I kind of tweaked it and then just that little tweak center into full C's mode. Oh my so goodness. So I'm out for out of commission for a little while. Here. L1 through 7 is all one now. Huh? <laughs> it's been fused. It's just an, it's just an L. Natural <laughs> fusing. You literally took an L. Yeah. Surprise wow. pay the train for going park? hard. No, was the it, was, it was off. off the, but it was like, it was one of those days where you had to really go find the powder. So if you hit the wrong jump, it was going to be all tracked out. And that was one of them. It was totally tracked out on the bottom. So it was pretty hard landing. Mm. Oh, but, good uh, night. Can't wait to go back. It was awesome. <laughs> so awesome. I love it. You know, as you get to your advanced age of, of 28 yeah. years, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, you would think that the, the wisdom would start to, to play in. I don't know what the... that word means. <laughs> all you got to do is stretch before. I did not stretch before. I should have done that. Would have been fine. I didn't do it. No, you go soaring through the air and land a flat landing. It doesn't matter how much you stretched. <laughs> You're still going to compact. You can, you can think that. <laughs> so you probably got to get to the no, chiro- I, chiropractor now. I've huh? lived that. I think I do. I've lived yeah, that. Ben has. You've done the same thing? Oh, dude. Ben's a little few Stupid. years ahead of me in his spinal yeah, my injuries. Spinal compaction. Yeah. You're saying you used to be 6'5", and then you just... You just <laughs> better than just compaction. Well, I mean, like, my family always jokes. They're always like... Dude, if your legs matched how long your torso is, you'd be like 6'5". <laughs> you have like the longest torso in the world. I got these little itty bitty legs. <laughs> like, It's from skiing and like hitting like, you yeah. know, two big jumps and <laughs> compacting my legs. Breaking your meniscus. <laughs> meniscus is just jelly squeezing through your patellar <laughs> joint. Wow. So so a chiropractor is going to probably be in the future here? Maybe. I might, I might check it out. We'll see. <laughs> so you were saying your spine is no longer in alignment. Now, Absolutely it's, not. It's the lower no. back? Yes, lower back and my left hip bone is about three inches further right than my belly button. It's like, yeah, it's all cattywamped. 
Wow. You know, Aaron could probably rub some oil on that. That's after, true. That's after true. The podcast. It's Absolutely. very lower back, Aaron. <laughs> very, very lower back. I get that. Lower back, upper crack. <laughs> that, that peppermint oil and just. Oh, I don't know if I'd like that. That's a little too much. <laughs> we have the, too much the, 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 the Engetti, the Engetti peppermint oil that we have that we can absolutely rub on the lower parts of your back. Thank yeah. you. I can't wait for podcast yeah. hour to be over. I'll be right here. That's horrible. Man, yeah. So 18 episodes. 18 episodes. Is to- we already it took 18 for, episodes, Yeah, huh? 18 episodes awesome. in. It took 18 episodes for uh, good old Isaac to... So I got to watch out on episode 36. 36, Take 36 now, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Once we get to 36, you, you may no longer have any legs. You know, who knows what could happen wow. at that point. We're not trying to prophesy anything here, but... Um, but how about you, Ben? Did you stay safe this weekend and, and, and not destroy yourself? You know, it's pretty hard to injure your physical body when you're just doing taxes. Oh. That's pretty hard to injure yourself. I mean, your I, soul, I, on the other hand. I injured my heart when I saw how much money I didn't have after that was all done. I was like, oh, this is, this is, you know, every year I sit down and do taxes and I've got this, this false hope that, that somehow the government is going to be kind and actually give me some of my money back. It hasn't happened like for years. You know, it has to do with what you end up putting for your deductions at the beginning of the year. I know that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> every, just wants to make more money every make, month. Yeah, right. the, the worst part is, is like, like my income changes, but my wife's income is really fluctuates because she just works like part time, very part time, like when she can and stuff. And so it's, it's literally like every time I figure my withholdings, it's literally like throwing a dart at a board with a blindfold on. You have no idea what you're actually going to make. Yeah. And so you're like, oh, okay, this is, yeah. This is not going to turn out well. <laughs> so you're just hoping when you hit that like TurboTax button at the end oh. that it's going to be like $10,000. Well, you bucks. know what's weird? Yeah. Like TurboTax every year, like it, when you plug in all your income information, it will, there's like this little thing at the top of the page that like scrolls through and it shows you like how much money you are getting back or how much you owe. It's such a depressing and, button. And it is such a depressing, <laughs> and every time you enter a new number of like, <laughs> you know, like it goes it in the changes. red. It changes. And it's like, it, it is the most, it is the most up and down emotional experience you've every time you put in a new number and hit enter the number that you're getting back or paying changes and then as soon as you press the like, clergy it's like, button it's like it just yeah. instantly goes negative five thousand dollars for the self-employment exactly. tax i'm like it's there's like, gotta be a way like, around this click yeah and then it's like click oh and then it's like click yeah <laughs> it's like literally the whole day like you gotta that. record by the end doing the, his taxes next year by the end of the day you're just you're just laying in the chair and you're just exhausted i made the mistake of putting on like speed mode this year it's a new setting they have so like I, I did too uh, you're gonna be so 90 percent of the people finish in 30 minutes i'm like two and a half hours later like lord give me another deduction there's gotta be something there's else i didn't see Go, where else where else can i find the deduction uh, wow yeah it is a horrible yo-yo experience oh, man. <laughs> you're just laying in a puddle of sweat by the end of the day you're just like oh this is this is the worst form of torture uh, ever devised so are the taxes done though you're, you're finished no because you know what i got to a question in TurboTax that asked about my oldest daughter who's now moved out and it's like what's her adjusted gross income and i'm like well i can't know that because she hasn't done her taxes yet so i'm oh. like all of this emotional trauma to know that pause. to know that I, I have to set this whole thing on pause until March 20th when my daughter moves home so that I, I can help her do her taxes. And once we do that, then I can plug that number in. Is, does, and, and until then, it looks like I owe the government a bunch of money. So I get to... So then you only have 25 to, days to plan to pay it. 
<laughs> March right, 20th, exactly. April 15th. I'm just, I'm just planning that it's going to be a fair amount. And so I'm just like, okay, whatever. Just go and with I'm it. I'm going to drain my savings account to pay <laughs> Uncle Sam. It's going to be... Now, is, but isn't she, she's 18 now. Isn't she like not on your taxes anymore? Like, can't well, you? Well, she lived at my house for more than six months last year. Oh, okay, so I still right. claim her as a dependent, but, but she made her own money. So she has to file her own taxes too. And then they want to know what her. Well, let her do that speed account there with, with Isaac. Have her do, do the. Doesn't work. It's a <laughs> five hours. Late. Well, her taxes literally take like yeah, hers 30 minutes. They're, they're quick. Mine, on the other hand, are, Yeah. I, lo- I, lo- I love when Ben comes in just heated about oh, something yeah. like this. Where it's just, he's been sitting in his chair just sweating. It's either sex right, trying to-, to take his money or a computer not functioning properly. <laughs> okay, to all of our listeners out there, this is the abuse I put up with week in and week out. Oh, I yeah. am, it goes I am, around, Ben. I'm literally, normally the, me. I'm literally the butt of every joke. And these guys are constantly making fun of me. No, that's not my literally, literally, I'm just, sitting I'm, in my office and <laughs> doing they're, nothing, they're, minding they're, my own minding business. Minding my own business. And there are there are loud shouts of laughter and joy and mirth and merriment over my misfortune. That any time or, or this printer in here, oh. something's not working in there. <laughs> no, there's there's a cardstock in tray number one. <laughs> E- easily the, mo- the most mad Ben ever got though was when the the Keurig was not filled with water. And oh, then it was almost there was World War Three that almost took Dude. place inside the office. Yeah. So, but but Ben, I'm glad my, no, fore- my forehead was very hot that day. Hot and bothered. My, my head was hot. <laughs> head was hot. <laughs> but no, I love when Ben comes in heated with those kind of things. He's just he's been just dwelling on it for the See, entire morning this, ready, proves, this proves my point though that my agony is their joy it's truly their joy so it's it's you enjoy it you love making us make fun out of it <laughs> yeah, otherwise no, you wouldn't share yeah, it you Just love keep it thinking that you I love it too as well yeah. all right um, now that we've wasted almost half the podcast and our listeners are are saying what, what <laughs> are they going to the get, get to the point you know um, no the weekend was a good good weekend overall my family got back from california they've been they've been traveling uh did go see family down there and so good to get them back and uh get the chance to let them feed the dogs in the morning as opposed, <laughs> opposed to me which is is always a good thing um so this week when it came to our our scripture we dealt with uh uh, Luke chapter seven, yeah. Luke chapter seven, and we were talking about uh, the healing of the centurion's uh, servant. And uh, one of the things that we're going to kind of deal with with uh, th- this entire uh, podcast podcast today is really talking about this idea of how G- Jesus heals. And when he heals, one of the things that he does, as you said many times in your your sermon yesterday, Ben, you said that every time Jesus encounters death life comes from it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, man, that's such a powerful statement, um, especially when we have the, the, the I guess, metaphoric uh, death in our own lives. Yeah. The, that's where Jesus can bring life to those. So just real quick, if you just kind of recap uh, real fast where you went with the sermon and, and then Isaac, if there's anything that you kind of pulled from it, I have a couple of questions that I want to get to too as well. But, but I love just that idea that Jesus brings uh, life from the death. Yeah. So my key point this weekend, um, actually, that was a little bit of a side note, um, but it was where I was headed with the idea that um, that Jesus has kind of a serendipitous find, if you could call it that, where he's not. Um, he, when you when you when you see something or you find something in a place or in a thing that you're not looking for it in, um, that's kind of the definition of a serendipitous find. When you you find something that you're not looking for, and Jesus finds faith in a person and in a place he was not expecting to find it. And that's always a pleasant surprise, right? It's like, um, you know, if somebody said to me, hey, you're not actually owing taxes this year, you're going to get paid back. Oh, that'd be nice, right? 
And so there's this serendipitous find of faith. And, and kind of the call this weekend was, <clears throat> was to exercise that faith. Um, um, that's the story of the centurion, that, that, that there's this am- amazement that Jesus is amazed at this guy's faith because he's not an Israelite. He's, he's, a, he's a Gentile. And, um, and then, you know, Jesus goes on to raise the widow's, the, the widow's dead son um, right after that in um, chapter 7, verse 11 and following. And, and, and that's kind of where I talked about um, every time Jesus um, comes to a funeral, he, he ruins it. You know, yeah. he, the, every single time Jesus is recorded as going to a graveside or a funeral, he um, raises the dead. And including his own, by the way, <laughs> including his own graveside, he he rises after three days. So that was kind of kind of what we were talking about, and how um, you know that 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 gives us hope, gives us encouragement, not only for uh, metaphorically dead things, but physically dead things. You know that that there is life beyond the grave. When Jesus says, "I'm going to prepare a place for you," um, he he means it. And because of the miracles that he did, he proved that what he these outrageous claims, if we want to call them that, these unbelievable claims, they should be believable because of what he did. And every time he encountered death, life came from it. So um, I think that's how we, how we can have faith in that. So, Well, and you use these uh, two different um, examples of when Jesus was amazed. And they're on separate ends of the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. The, the one end of the spectrum is when he goes to Nazareth, right? right? And when he goes to Nazareth, he's there and he's, he's uh, teaching and there is a complete lack of faith in his ability to, to heal, but also in just him being the Messiah he, he, right. and when it comes there. Then you go to the other side of this where it's a person who shouldn't have faith, mm-hmm. the, those who are inside of an environment where, um, I guess, you know, they're, they're pagans. Mm-hmm. And, and he has now the faith that Nazareth didn't have. Right. And so these two episodes of when Jesus is amazed, he's amazed with people who, what was the phrase you said? Those who shouldn't have faith have faith, and those who shouldn't have faith don't. What was it? Shouldn't, shouldn't. Those who should have faith don't. It's very confusing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, Nazareth, in Nazareth, you have people who should have faith and they don't. And Correct. Jesus, that amazes Jesus. Like, what? there should be faith here, and there isn't. Mm-hmm. And then with the centurion, you have someone who should not have faith, who does. And that also amazes Jesus. So you, you, he's amazed on both ends of the spectrum. Um, and so you know, we talked about how the centurion's religious resume was lacking um, in that sense, but he had faith, and that's the main thing, and that's what amazes Jesus. So, um, by the way, only only two times in all of Scripture, Jesus is said to have been amazed or marveled at something, and he marveled at lack of faith where it should have been, and a presence of faith where it should not have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so those two two extremes kind of formed a little bit of the backbone of the message from from some from yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And so when it comes again, I, I, you know, I, I quote it wrong. Those who are supposed to have faith don't. There's the one side of it, and those who shouldn't have faith do there there we go that there was the go. point I, that's right mm-hmm. i got a little little tongue tied there but one of the things that that amazes me in this in this chapter in chapter seven is the characters that are present uh inside of this this story it never hit me until i was i was doing the study for this for our uh, small groups and life groups um curriculum but it says here when jesus had finished saying all this to the people that were listening he entered capernaum there the centurion servant whom was is whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some some elders of the Jews to him. And that, that, that was surprising to me. So this centurion who is a pagan, who is 
under the Roman occupant, occup, uh, I can't say the right word, occupation. 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 There we go. Occupation. <laughs> it doesn't sound right. That's a different word too. Yes. Occupation. Job. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he sends these Jewish servants. Why does he do that, Isaac? And what what is the value of that in terms of this entire story? Yeah, I think it's neat that he uh, has such a close relationship um, with the Jewish people that um, he's able to send them on his behalf to help bring some credibility to the guy. And um, I think I overheard a conversation between you and Ben the other day where uh, there's four centurions that are mentioned in the New Testament, and every single time they're presented in a favorable light. Um, and uh, this is another example of that uh, because um, they're they're notorious, notoriously faithful. This guy understands the idea of authority. And uh, one of the things I thought was interesting in your sermon, Bren, Ben, how you brought, brought out the fact that if this guy understands authority and how uh, a spoken word brings about accomplished events, mm -hmm. then he understood that Jesus is a man whose very word is authoritative to bring about events. And mm -hmm. the only being who that really applies to is is god he understood jesus to be god in a sense that um if he was just to say a word uh there would be a an action that could happen miles away and mm -hmm. the only person that can do that is god and i think that was part of jesus understood his faith to be not just that jesus was a prophet or um that he was some religious person but i think he had a deeper faith in that even um but yeah, the fact that he sent those Jewish people, um, he helped build their synagogue. Um, and what a neat example of um, relationships across the ethnicities to be able to um, to, to use the Jewish leaders as a, um, a means by which giving credibility to him. Why do you think that there was a, a positive light on the all the centurions that we see in terms of scripture, for, for the gospel specifically? Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that comes to the top of my mind right away is just that the gospel is intended for all people, and uh, the centurions kind of as the uh, the last group of people a, a Jewish person would come to expect uh, to be faithful in Jesus, somebody who is Roman, somebody who is a, a powerful Roman, somebody who has military authority over the Jewish people, and even somebody like this is able to comprehend who Jesus is, place faith in him, and in a sense, foreshadow the receiving of the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's the powerful, like, that was what the gospel, people like this is, is the, who the gospel is intended to be able to meet and yeah. change. So That's a great point, Isaac. The universality of the gospel mm -hmm. is, is seen in the favorable light of the centurions. But, it's almost like the furthest, uh, the furthest opposite yeah. of what a, a good Jewish person would be. Like that the gospel is for the, the, the Jew that he is with, but the gospel is also for these powerful Roman figures who are Gentiles. It is also for them too as well. Yeah, I think one of the things it shows too, though, is that, is that here's a Roman, um, and, and every Roman centurion that's mentioned in the New Testament, because they're mentioned in a favorable, favorable light, I think one of the things it shows is that if you are a unbiased um, outside observer to the events of mm. Jesus life, you walk away saying there's something about this guy or right? even biased <clears throat> against a Roman centurion would biased not be against. biased for Jesus, not biased for him, but <clears throat> not biased against him in the sense of sure. a Jewish people, the Jewish people who didn't think he was their Messiah. Mm. But I think that's an interesting thought that here are these guys who are not part of the Jewish establishment. They're mm. outside of that. They're watching um, Jesus from a cultural outsider's perspective, and they're saying, 
boy, there's something about this guy. Think Even about the centurion at Jesus's cross. Yes, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Surely this, this man was a or the, depending on the translation, son of God. Right, exactly. Um, this, you know, the centurion that, um, uh, I think it's the one that um, washes washes uh, Paul and Silas's wounds in the middle of the night that he gets baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, th- these are people that are watching these miraculous events and this miraculous person from afar, at least as a cultural outsider, and they're saying, wow, this is there's something happening here that I've never, ever seen before. And that's pretty cool. Pretty cool to think about, but man, that is amazing. And so that he sends these, uh, Jewish leaders to Jesus. Jesus, uh, hears them. They plead earnestly with him. And you, you mentioned this a minute ago there that this man was seen favorably, favorably by the, these Jewish leaders. He said, you know, they, he helped to build our synagogue. He is a, a man that, that loves our nation. And so Jesus, you des- he deserves this. He should be healed. And so Jesus begins to go with them, right? And then at that point, another set of characters enters this story as well. If you skip down there just a little bit further, um, as he was far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, and it, it got me thinking, you know, who do you think these friends are? You know, we had the, the Jewish elders have gone now to Jesus. The centurion's still at home, right? Now he sends us a second wave of friends to Jesus. Who do you think these people are? Are they, are they servants? Are they centurion? Are they Roman servants? Or do you think they're also Jews as well? Hmm. Any thought process on that? Kind of interesting. Yeah, I, it would make sense for it to be more Jewish people just because... Um, if they were soldiers, uh, then, uh, I mean, I guess it could be soldiers as well, sure, but you wouldn't be. quite phrase it like that. You wouldn't think, I, I mean, from the, the gist of the story already, he's got friends who are elders, of the Jews, and then maybe other Jewish friends would be my thought, but it could also be soldiers. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. I, I say not enough data, but I will say this interesting, um, that the very thing that the servant commends about Jesus um, in his faith statement where he says, I too am a man under authority and I, I have servants under me and I say this one go and he go and this one come and he comes. He has just done that because the centurion has not had a face-to-face conversation with Jesus to that we know of ever. Ever, yeah. Right? So Even in this interview, the, the delegation that was first sent to Jesus was sent by the centurion who said, hey, can you go talk mm. to this guy for me? And it happened. It got done. And when Jesus is halfway there, or not far from the house, the text says, um, he sends another delegation of friends. We don't know who they are. If they're Roman soldiers, this is what's interesting. If they're if they're underlings of his centurion pod, he is actually showing Jesus. This is an example of go and he goes and come and he comes. Because I don't even have to show up to your presence, Jesus, in order to mm-hmm. give you the message and to basically affect um, your actions. Exactly, and so yeah. he's, he's basically given him an example of this. The friends show up and say, hey, this is the message from the centurion. <laughs> Don't even come to my house. I'm not worthy. And I recognize that just like I have done these two times, you can do that too. Yeah. Um, send, send your word and it will happen, mm. and which is kind of a crazy powerful faith statement. Yeah. Well, and I think it, you're like, you're saying, I think it shows the faith, uh, in action by the way in which he's responding to Jesus. Cause as you said, he doesn't ever have a face to face here with Jesus. His, his belief in Jesus's power, the authority that Jesus has 
is from afar. Yep. And he believes it completely that, that it's going to be, it's going to happen and that Jesus is going to be able to heal. And, uh, oh, so I had a question for you guys. Have you ever seen, uh, somebody's faith and it amazed you? Somebody that had some faith that amazed you. Maybe you have a, a story or somebody that you're like, man, I can't even believe. One thing that hits me a lot of times is when uh, you, you're, you go to a funeral and, and you go to a funeral and you, and you just see people who like who have just lived, it seems like a common ordinary life to some extent, but the faith in which they, they remained faithful to God through that entire life is the example of how like you know, their love for God, you know, and like that kind of faith amazes me because it's like, man, how, how did they continue to stay inside of that? Um, even through all the trials that they went through, we were talking to a, a person recently, me and Ben were, who just had a really hard life, a very, very difficult life and her ability to smile mm-hmm. and be joy filled. And, and it's like, it's like, how, how is that possible? There's so many people who have like way easier lives than you. And yet you are, <laughs> way more joyful than them, you know? Right. Right. I don't know. You guys, yeah. any, any people like that, you've been amazed by their faith? Yeah. I mean, um, my mom, she's been through a lot, um, a lot of death, a lot of loss, and, uh, she's the most faithful saint. Um, I know, um, through it all, she's still going to church, still, uh, seeks Jesus every day. And, um, because of that has given our family a great my dad as well, obviously, but my mom through it has lived out, uh, faith under fire and, uh, gives us kiddos a firm foundation for what it looks like to follow Jesus, even when it's not easy. Mm. So yeah, it's, that's been amazing watching her grieve. Yes. Um, but also remain faithful to Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What about so, you, Ben? Anybody been, you've been amazed by their faith? Man, there's just, uh, you put, when I get put on the spot, I can't think of a specific example, but I know like the one that you talked about this, that we went and visited this last week, and that was a, a great example. But I know there have been countless people like that that I've encountered over the years that have, have a very, very, um, have had a very hard life, and they're, they're still trusting, still believing, and their faith is not shaken by the pain of life. Mm-hmm. And right by, and by the by the struggle yeah and, and that, I think that to me is 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 an, is an example of that great faith what sets those kind of people apart from becoming bitter in the midst of that pain is that they're able to understand Jesus as really the only solution the only one that makes sense of their suffering and I think that's the difference between whether we become bitter through something or um, our faith becomes stronger is whether or the we, classic pastor statement bitter or better right and I wanted to avoid that <laughs> um <clears throat> Is, is whether or not we perceive Jesus as being the the one who created that pain and initiated that suffering, and so we take out our anger on him, or whether he's the one that can uh, rescue us from it and make sense out of it. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the part, like I said, that I always get so amazed by those kind of people that just uh, continue to remain faithful in, in spite of, man, just the tragedy, loss, uh, abuse, whatever the case may be that comes in, into their life. And, and you have other... Other people, again, I'm not trying to judge you, buddy. We talked about that last week. But but you have other people who haven't had even half of those things, and yet they're not able to continue to remain that same kind of mm-hmm. uh, joyful faith. So Jesus goes down, verse 9 says, And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned into the crowd uh, following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how that was heard? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Jesus is condemning Israel necessarily. Um, I think he is pointing pointing people to a a very positive example 
And rabbis would often do this when they 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 would be you know walking along. They would you know um, they would see a teachable moment. They would seize the opportunity, and they would use that moment to teach a, a spiritual lesson. And I think this is one of those times where Jesus turns to his disciples and says. <laughs> This is what I've been telling you about. Mm. This is what I want you to uh, to practice and put into practice. And so, um, but yeah, I think just the amazing the, the the fact that Jesus is amazed by it, I think, has to do um, not only with the person's faith, but the but who the person is. That this is not somebody you would expect to find this kind of faith in, and um, and that that I think that's what. That's what impresses Jesus. Yeah. Um, so it's always it's interesting when we uh, we talk. You know, this is a little bit springboarding about last week, but sometimes we have those people that we see come through the doors of church, and we're like, oh, I don't know about them, right? There used to be this guy named CJ, right? When CJ came through the doors yeah. for the first couple of times, it was like, who is this guy? And uh-huh. he's kind of a little bit scary. <laughs> but the faith of CJ was yeah. a, a guy that I, I was always so amazed by and, and the way in which he he responded to the gospel and the power in which that that changed his life, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we lost him, which is a really obviously a sad thing and something that we we, we grieve. Um, but but his his faith was something they said that you if, you, if you looked at him on the face of value, you'd been like, there, that's not... Yeah, if you judge the book by its cover, it was um, it was a scary book. Yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> and he'd had a he'd had a, had a had a tough life, no doubt. Um, but you know, I kind of go back to um, our society tends to look at hardship and pain and make excuses for well, that's the reason we are like we are. And I think to some extent, you got to give people grace. And sometimes when you hear their story, you go, wow, it's a, it's a wonder they're as normal as they are. Yeah. You know, it's a wonder they can function at all. Yeah. And yet other times you look at, um, for instance, the, the lady we went and visited last week where she had been through absolutely a pile of trauma in her life. And she didn't use that as an excuse. No, she even said that. To, yeah, she didn't use it as an excuse to be bitter or to be um, dysfunctional. She... She, you know, trusted the Lord yeah. and, and continued to, to move towards him. Yeah. And I think that, you know, rather than just making it, because everybody's life is hard, um, instead of making those excuses, just say, hey, you know what? There is, um, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to let this define me. Right. You know, and and I think that's really important. So. I think that's good for Isaac when it comes to like youth ministry, right? Like one of the things that like I think sometimes students uh, think that they're always going to be a product of their situation. Yeah. And it's like you can't like Jesus can change you through this. Like you can actually like you don't have to be the exact way that your family dynamic is or the or the difficulty that you've grown up yeah. in. You can you can be changed. And I don't know. Have have you seen that much in, in terms of your ministry there as well? Yeah, I think I've seen a lot of neat stories of uh, students because of Jesus going in another direction from their family and breaking um, family heritage brokenness kind of stuff, like breaking through that through Jesus. And I just sense a really strong determination for kids in this town to like, um, to experience Jesus as a transformer, somebody, somebody who can transform our lives. <clears throat> Not and like an actual transformer. That would, that'd be pretty maybe, cool. Maybe he could do that too. But yeah, I just think these are tough kids in this town and they, they know they're coming. A lot of them are coming from hard family places, but they see in Jesus a chance for, um, 
becoming something else. Yeah. And uh, they don't need a whole lot of don't be victim mentality kind of stuff. They, they're they not, and uh, they're tough. So they they see Jesus, they see the transformation in his disciples, and they, they see that that can be theirs too. So it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, like you just said, like Lapine is an area that's unique, you know, and, and you do have to be a little bit tough in order, in order to live here. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to students specifically, when they graduate, there's not a whole lot of options available to them, you know, in the, in this town, so, but you have to, and there's not very many options to during the week either, yeah. you know, when you're growing up. And so they, you have to learn how to be, be tough and, and, and to rely, whether that's on your, like salt youth ministry and, mm-hmm. or, or when it comes to, you know, church and that kind of thing to find that connection and, and what's going to push you forward. And I, I had a friend growing up, Mike, mm-hmm. and, and Mike was a guy that like his, the product of the environment that he was in, he should have had every card stacked against him, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, abusive parents and, and drug abuse and alcohol and all this kind of stuff. And, and he should have been the person who, you know, ended up in that exact same environment, but because Jesus changed his life, and because Jesus healed him, he was able to now have you know a wife and kids and a, and, and and is you know leading a Christian life. And it's so awesome to see that. You talk about this a lot, Ben, but like that uh, generational uh, breaking mm-hmm. happening inside of somebody's life. And maybe when it comes to this centurion, maybe that generation now is is broken of of you know whatever pain that he had had in his life or the the paganness that he was living with you know mm-hmm. and and it's so awesome to see people when that the authority of jesus takes over in their life how it can change everything about the traje- trajectory of their entire life so then the next whole story uh, jesus raises the, the the widow's son and this is where we get into this idea of jesus bringing death uh or bringing life from from dead things um but you you said this earlier ben jesus basically ruins every funeral that he goes to, right? And all four of them. All four of them. Now, what, mm-hmm. what are the four funerals that he goes to? Uh, Jairus's daughter, who's the synagogue ruler, I believe at Capernaum. And um, he, he raises uh, his, um, his, his dead daughter. And then um, you've got this one here. Um, you've got Lazarus. And, um, and then you've got Jesus' own, you know, resurrection. So four, four encounters with death, and every one of them results in life. So I think there's something pretty cool there about, you know, when we see these stories, we can have faith that when Jesus says, I will raise you from the dead, Mm. um, you know, John 3, 16, um, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a resurrection that, um, that is prophesied by Jesus for all of us. And, and it's not just empty words. He backed it up with action, and every time he encountered death, uh, resurrected life was the result. And so I think that gives us great hope, and it gives us, I think, a firm foundation to believe in a resurrection. Um, if Jesus is the power that raise, that raises us from the dead, um, then he's already proven it. He, we see four examples of it in Scripture where he does that. And no other person in Scripture, I'm not going to say no other person in Scripture uh, did a miracle of raising the dead, but usually it was only one, which, I mean, if there's one, that's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we would all agree with that. But Elijah, um, I think Elisha did, and, and, and there may be a few other examples of that, but, but not, not many. And when Jesus does this four times, in fact, probably Jesus himself resurrects more people than all the other prophets in the entirety of human history. <laughs> And so combined, combined, combined yeah. exactly, yeah. <clears throat> so that's 
that's another. So what's the hope for us there, Isaac, when it comes to the fact that he can bring life from dead things inside of our lives? Yeah. I think it's a, both a now and later kind of a hope that he mm-hmm. gives. I got to thinking about um, how Jesus comes up and he touches the, you know, all the way up to this point, I thought it was pronounced buyer. Uh, it's pronounced beer. I didn't know that. So um, I'll fix that. He comes up and touches the beer, the, the little cot that the <laughs> kid is laying on. I and, thought it was buyer too as well. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe maybe he's had beer on the mind. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday morning. Um, and I just got to thinking too, like, what is the, the, the death that needs the touch of Jesus in our own life? Um, what's, what's the hopeless uh, marriage, uh, the, the hope that's gone out of um, our, um, our life? And Jesus is able to bring life to that. And uh, so that, that makes me think of like, Jesus gives us hope now in the areas of brokenness and death in our own lives. He can touch that and bring new life to it. Um, and just as Ben said, ultimately, and most importantly, um, touching uh, our dead bodies and raising us up to new life um, to live with him forever at the end, too. Yeah. One of the quotes that, that Ben had during the sermon was uh, this. He said, Jesus is not only with us in our pain, he has authority over it. And mm-hmm. and like that, I mean, that just gives us the hope that, yeah, for the the now, but the not yet, right? Mm-hmm. The now of the fact that there, if there is, you know, relationship issues that you're just struggling with or um, job concerns mm-hmm. or whatever that, that pain and that hurt is right now, that, that is your, your struggle that you're, you're battling with right now, Jesus has authority over it. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to hand that over to him, trust that he is, is faithful, trust that he is able, because in this situation, Jesus walks up and touches this thing, which would have been a culturally bad thing you know to make him unclean <clears throat> yeah he would have had to go do a ritual cleaning at the, mm-hmm. in order to even go back and worship and he he physically goes up and yeah. touches again but time and again though every time and again jesus touches unclean things and it doesn't make him unclean right it makes whatever he touches clean and i think so whenever jesus encounters death it's overcome by life. Whenever Jesus encounters the ritually unclean, it be, it's overcome by his holiness, his clean, his, his mm-hmm. cleanness, so to speak. And, um, and I think that's, that's a powerful image too, that when Jesus comes into your life, mm-hmm. when, you know, we talk about Jesus coming into your heart, um, um, your whole, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and he makes us holy, um, even though we're, we're not in and of ourselves, obviously. But he makes us that way when he touches it. And I think the same thing is true for death. Death becomes life when Jesus touches it. So, Yeah. Well, and I think, I think verse 13 is, is one that should be really encouraging to all of us. When Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that I think sometimes we, we think that Jesus, God is just being this big bully in the sky and he's watching us go through all the pain and hurt. It does hurt. It hurts him. And, 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 and Jesus was fully man and fully God, and he experienced the same emotions that, that, that we uh, feel and experience. And with that, you know, he felt compassion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were a lot of people that probably died that same day, you know, sure. possibly. And not that Jesus didn't have compassion on them, but in this situation, he saw this woman. He saw the need. Because, and you talked about this a little bit in the sermon, but when you became a widow, it was like one of the worst things to possibly happen to you. 
Your yeah. financial backing was gone. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in this case, she was a widow and she lost her son. Mm-hmm. So now the ability for her, only her, son, yeah. her only son. Yeah. So for her to have any kind of financial backing for the future, she was going to be destitute. This was, yeah. this was kind of the end of her life. And now not only does he bring life from this child, he brings her new life yeah, too as well cool. and gives her a chance to, to, to continue on with life. Now mm-hmm. her son's going to die again and she's mm-hmm. going to die and Lazarus died. You talked about that too as well. Mm-hmm. And so these are kind of, uh, um, small healings, I guess a big they're temporary, they're temporary. Yeah. They're temporary in, in the grand scheme of things. Now, Jesus wasn't temporary. He's obviously alive and, and continues to live today. Um, but, but for, for these people, it was temporary, but is what they needed in that time to have faith because you see the outcome of it, right? Verse 17, this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country, right? Like these moments that were like for the individual ended up being the example of how his ministry is going to flourish uh, from this point yeah. on. Because even like the news of the day could travel really, really quickly when somebody gets raised from mm-hmm. the dead, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, when it comes to Jesus, Jesus encounters death and he brings life from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, um, we don't know when this happened and we actually don't, it's a little bit conjecture, but I was thinking about this over the weekend. Like, it's almost as if the writers of scripture intentionally are telling the stories of Jesus bringing life from death. Because I guarantee you, Jesus throughout his 33 years of life, or 30 years of life, however long he lived, he he encountered death when he did not raise the dead. Well, his, his dad, Joseph. That's, that's exactly where I was headed with this, is like, here he has a family member who most scholars believe that since he wasn't at the crucifixion, and he's never mentioned again outside of... Um, the birth narrative story that Joseph must have died possibly even fairly early on in Jesus' life, and Jesus did not heal his own father, Mm -hmm. even though his father was on his deathbed, potentially. And so, you know, I think we have to look at the stories um, with some, some amount of realism and say, for whatever reason, Jesus does not always, um, he doesn't always heal. Yeah. And and I think it the reality is that there are there are the stories in scripture, those were times when Jesus was willing um and he for whatever um his sovereign reasons were um chose to bring bring that healing. But he doesn't always. Right. And we don't, and sometimes I guess that gives us uh a lack of faith sometimes when we're like, why is why is this part of my life not healed? Why am not am I not better physically? Why am I not better spiritually? Why am I not better mentally? Um, and you see many times in Scripture, even Apostle Paul, right? Mm-hmm. I I asked him to remove this three times, the thorn, of the my thorn flesh. of my flesh, three times, and he didn't. Yeah, and and so maybe there's some some reason for that, yeah. and we don't have the answers to that, mm-hmm. you know. And but sometimes Jesus, yeah, you're saying Jesus didn't. He didn't save everybody that died, and he didn't mm-hmm. heal every single person that came he came in contact mm-hmm. with, sure. and and so that that is a, a, a thing that, you know, as you go about your life trying to figure out what 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 happens with you, you know, spiritually or physically or or mentally, you know, there's we don't always have an answer to that, mm-hmm. but but we know that Jesus has authority over it, mm-hmm. and that's and that's where we can sit confidently. But but that is hard. That's a difficult thing to to try to to put our mind around because you're like, well, why not? Why this person and why not that person? Well, I think we have to. Keep keep everything in the perspective of that all healing in this physical life is temporary. Yeah. And that's one of the things I mentioned in second service that I did not mention first service. So you got to come to second service. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
I had a really good conversation with someone in between the services about, you know, the will of God and how this factors into who he chooses to heal and who he chooses to leave infirm, you know? And I think the, the, the reality is that we have to view all healing in this life as temporary because obviously the, the centurion's servant and the widow's son are no longer with us. (laughs) They eventually died. And the, and so then, you know, we, what, what we have to recognize is that it, it's not necessarily the physical healing that we experience. Yes, that's a celebration point and it's a faith building point, but what it really does is it points to ultimate healing, um, which, which is what God has promised us um, in the resurrection. And, and so, so along the same lines on the flip side of that, yes. do you think you, we could also say that the grief that we have, if there is not a healing or the brokenness that we experience in this life, when we ask for a healing, we're not getting it. That too is also temporary. Hmm. The healing that Jesus brings um, is temporary and we're hoping for an eternal solution on the other mm-hmm. side of the grave. But yeah. also the brokenness that we continue to walk in and live in, mm-hmm. that Jesus is telling us to be patient in uh, the, the thorn in our flesh, it isn't being healed at this time. Yeah. These are temporary things too. Um, yeah. And every tear will be wiped from our eyes. Yes. Um, Revelation I did 21. mention that, yeah. And I mentioned that yesterday too. Yeah. That that is the ultimate healing. Yeah. This is a, that will be a place of ultimate healing. Mm-hmm. And this is not, mm-hmm. this world is not a place of ultimate healing. Yeah. You cannot experience absolute wholeness mm-hmm. this side of eternity. Um, and so, but... Yeah, it, I mean, the great stories and, and, and great applications come from them, for sure. Awesome. So where are we going next week? What's the next week's uh, sermon about? We got we got a... Why do you always put me on the spot? Well, I, you know, it's Monday. I get oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so next week we're talking about actually an incredible story in Luke 7, beginning in verse 36, talking about Jesus um, goes to the home of a Pharisee, and he's eating in the home of a Pharisee, and this sinful woman, quote-unquote sinful woman, um, most think she's a prostitute, comes in and uh, anoints Jesus' uh, feet with oil. Um, Her tears, uh, she's crying, and her tears fall on Jesus' feet, and she's wiping his his feet with her hair. It's um, It's quite a graphic and moving scene, and um, and there's a great spiritual lesson that comes out of this um, about those who've been forgiven much, love much. Those who've been forgiven little, uh, love little. And so there's a really a great, a great application. It's especially next week, I think, especially um, applicable to uh, those of us who have grown up in the church and maybe struggle with a little bit of self-righteousness. Mm. And um, not not me. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not talking about Isaac or Aaron or Ben, but it's everybody else, you know, that has this self righteousness issue. So, um, anyway, it's it's a great story, great story, and some some pretty crazy application. Awesome. In members of the week, I won't do the song this week because every day, every time Gosh, I do it, we got to get a jingle b- b- for that. Ben, ben hates the jingle. <laughs> member of the week, Isaac, you got a member of the week I got for a member me. Member of the week. Oh, give it to me. I don't know if we've done. 
Chris Wilder yet. We have not, but, no. Um, he has been a tremendous help for me and my grow group each week. And uh, his wife, Lauren, also shout out to her. She's been running our espresso stand. So uh, great couple awesome. to have in the church, great friends, and they're just serving us in, in awesome, some awesome ways. So thank you, guys. Appreciate thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Love you guys. Awesome. Well, this episode is brought to you by the guys over at Ponderosa Pizza and their men's breakfast. It's this week. This week, uh, uh, this Saturday at 8 a.m., uh, it is going to be led this week by Brent from the... Uh, uh, what's the name of the church? The, the door. door. The door church. Brent, I, I, almost said the, I almost said the open door. That's not, that's not the right word. I'm sorry, Brent. <laughs> that's the United Methodist. No, yeah. this, theirs this, is the closed door. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. This I'm is just, shout out to the door. The door. Great, we love the guys at the church. Door. Yeah. Brent, Brent's leading the, the speaking. I'll be leading the worship for it this week. Oh, sweet. So 8 a.m., uh, pizza breakfast. Um, it's a chance for you to uh, have prayer and fellowship and, and eat some great once in a lifetime breakfast pizza, specialty breakfast, specialty pizza. breakfast pizza. So this this week, uh, that's the, the first, fourth. That's the fourth. And that's right before the second day of your worship summit. Yeah, I know. I got a I got a wow. busy weekend this weekend. I got a worship summit on Friday, and then trying to get people uh, trained up in different areas. So hey, if you want to be listening to this and you're like, hey, I'd like to know more about the soundboard or any of those kind of things with the tech side of it, we'd love to have you this mm-hmm. week. It's Friday night, and then also into Saturday. So do they have to uh, sign up for that? No, they, you can just they, show uh, up at six. Show up at six, and I'll have food for them dinners dinners provided and then yes yeah, so i got a, i got a busy weekend this what weekend. time is the men's breakfast 8 a.m 8 a.m at ponderosa Pondo pizza. pizza here in lapine here in lapine yep hey thank you so much for joining us we hope you have a great week and that god continues to bless you and that he is in your pain and he's in your hurt have a great week <laughs>